everybody, and welcome back for another episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I'm Zach Farmer, and we are a little more than a month away from the start of college basketball season, which is really exciting. We're starting to see more prognostications, more previews be put out, more more talk about what we're going to see this college basketball season. And with that, we're also going to start talking more and more about what we're going to see in the WCC and how it's all going to shake out once we get started in November. And so we're going to touch on a couple of different topics. We'll go into some injury news. Uh, we'll also uh, have a quick chat with uh, Jack Cronin, the uh, San Diego Toreros play-by-play man. Um, and we'll talk about everything U- USD, the changes at the coaching staff, a ton of newcomers on that roster. Uh, but first, before we get to that, I think there's this one que- this question as we kind of enter into the season. There's always kind of like this, this question in the WCC about who – there's always a team who kind of like leapfrogs and makes a big jump. And who is that team going to be this year? And is there a chance that some team is going to break into the top four? And I think that like from time to time – we saw that with Santa Clara last year who leapfrogged all the way up the third. USF was there at fourth. Uh, for the first time, BYU had dropped dropped a fifth. Uh, but then we also saw some some leaps from Portland. We saw we saw some strides from San Diego early on in conference play before uh, they hit a really rough patch at the end of the year. So who is going to be who's the team that has the best chance to break into that top four this season? At least looking at the teams who were maybe in the bottom half of the league. And so I have three that really kind of like come off the top of my head as being those teams. That being San Diego, as we've talked about, Pepperdine, and then also Portland. So let's kind of like look at each one of them individually. And I'll start with Pepperdine. Pepperdine does have a lot of talent. There's there's no doubt about that. There are three young stars between Max Lewis, Houston Mallet, and uh, Mike Mitchell Jr., all three who were all freshman team uh, members last year, there's this is some high-powered offensive talent on this team. And as the season went on, all of them got more consistent. Houston Malik raised his um, point average to points in conference play. Max Lewis, who was banged up early in the year, we really got to see kind of come into his not fully come into his own, but we really started to see what capability he had as we got into conference play. He only started two games, so there was still uh, some growing pains for him as well. But they also have the toughest hill to climb. This was a team that finished 10th last year. This is a team that was the worst defensive team in in the WCC. Allowed the most points, allowed the highest uh, field goal percentage, opponent field goal percentage, And this is where I'm not, I am to to jump from say 10 to four to three seems like a lot. It seems like that that might be too tough a hill to climb, at least in my mind. I, I do think the Pepperdine is going to make a fairly is going to move up. It will not be intent this year. That will not be where Pepperdine lies, but they also have kind of a lot to prove. And I think that that's going to, I think that helps Pepperdine. 
but at the same time, I think it's like, even though obviously like everything kind of starts from scratch and everything else, there's still a lot of the pieces on that Pepperdine team who remember what 10th place felt like. And will I think do enough to make sure that they're not 10th anymore. I just don't know if they're going to make that huge leap. Now they might make say like a, a Portland type leap. And Portland went from 10th to sixth. I could see that as being very possible. Uh, but for Pepperdine, I feel like that that's just not, they're not quite that team, even though I think they're going to be in this conversation and be in the mix. Like I, I'm not going to doubt that they will be in the mix, uh, at least in the conversation as we get deeper into conference play. Then let's talk about uh, San Diego. San Diego, there's a there's a lot of intrigue, I would say, about San Diego. And there's a lot of expectations already for San Diego. Uh, John Rothstein uh, put out just the other day that uh, San Diego is one of the five teams that is expected to have the biggest leap uh, in expectations and in success this path in this season. Steve Lavin comes in as head coach. We kind of know his reputation. He's he has 12 years of coaching under his belt, eight NCAA tournaments, two NIT bids. He has success and he has it quickly. Uh, and especially if you look at his St. John's run, he, he got there at a program that was really trying to still like figure itself out. And he was able to turn that program around fairly quickly. Now, again, like it's maybe a little easier to recruit and get guys into a Big East program and kind of turn that around than it might be for a WCC program. But at the same time, we've already seen how quickly he can move at getting new players in the door. San Diego has already brought in 12 newcomers. We know about Jaden Dallaire from the transfer from Stanford, Eric Williams, the transfer from Oregon, and then Nick Lynch, the transfer from Lehigh, who I think is one of the more interesting transfers and i think is going to be one of the key components for san diego because one of the things that we know in this league is that you have to play the post well when byu last year lost basically its entire front court due to injury that devastated their season and when you especially when you look at the top at st mary's and and gonzaga those are two teams that always have deep solid front courts and if you're going to compete with them, you have to be able to rebound. You have to be able to protect the paint. You have to be able to defend down low. We saw that with USF last year. USF, I think no one doubted that with uh, Khalil Shabazz and Jamari Bouye, they had one of the best front courts in the, in the nation, let alone the WCC. But they didn't have the front court to help them out early in their careers. When they finally did last year with uh, Yawan Masalski and Patrick Tape, they finally got over that hump and got into an NCAA tournament. So I think this will be one of the things that San Diego is going to have to be focused on because they have a ton of talent. It's a matter of putting it together and whether or not they can piece everything together as they answer WCC play and then sustain it through conference through the course of the season. So so they're going to be in the conversation. I think that they're, we're going to see San Diego somewhere in this mix. But the one I'm looking at, the one I see who has the best shot at breaking into that top four is going to be Portland. We saw the rise of Portland last year. This was a team that was dead last in the WCC was dead last in the WCC basically for the last five to six years before last season. And 
I think a lot of people thought that it was going to take some time to get Portland out of the hole they were in. And what Shantae Leggins did in year one was nothing short of amazing. He took a team that was dead last, dead last, dead last, and turned them into a very competitive team almost immediately. Brought in a lot of players that he was familiar with from Eastern Washington. Brought in a lot of, brought in players who were going to fit his system. And this is a team that won 19 games last year. Which was the most that they had won since 2010, 2011. And they kind of had the opposite of San Diego's conference season, where San Diego kind of started well and then tapered off. Portland started started poorly and then revved up at the back half of the season. And we really got to see how, how they started to build momentum toward the end of the year. They knocked off USF uh, up at the hilltop. We saw them start to be really competitive with teams that were also competitive, that were also good teams. They also beat San Diego in the WCC tournament, who they leapfrogged in conference play. And you have a lot of that team returning. You have the Moses Woods. You have the Mike Meadows. You have Tyler Robertson, who are all coming back. At some point, they will get Chris Austin back, uh, who was who recovering from a serious leg injury that he suffered in the last game of the season last year. So there's a lot to like about where they are. And then some of the transfers that they've brought in are really interesting and should actually kind of help where they did have some, some gaps. One of the areas, obviously, we kind of knew like they have, they had the backcourt, they had the shooters. They needed someone in the post, as we talked about post play, post play, post play. Uh, the Milwaukee transfer, Joy St. Pierre, is really going to be a really interesting piece and probably fills a, a need that they had. Uh, he had he averaged 5.7 rebounds last year, a block over a block a game. This is a this is a team I think that is primed to shoot for that top four window in the WCC. I'm not saying that they're going to do it. What I'm saying is that they have the best shot because if you still look around BYU for everything that's been happening, they are still one of the more talented teams. If you look up and down their roster in the conference. Whether they put it together or not is a different question. USF, I think, has garnered enough cachet now that they've proven that they can be that they can remain near the top. Some of the transfers they've brought in again, like they had a lot to the replace. They had to replace Masalski. They had to re- they have to replace Bouye. Now I don't think there's quote replacing Bouye, but that is that is something that they have to kind of replicate in some sort of way. Shabazz uh, is going to be a big part of how they do that. As, as well as like Marcus Williams and then also um, Tyler Roberts. Like there are going to be guys on that roster that they're going to actually be looking to to be able to fill some of that role. Uh, looking at Julian Rishwain is another guy we're probably going to see a lot more of uh, this coming season. And so as I kind of look at like, there's going to be so, I think there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of jockeying in the middle of the league. I could see very well that there's going to be a bunch of teams with records like nine and seven, eight and eight, seven and nine. I don't, I think, I think a team that could get to 10 wins 
is going to be good enough to get into that fourth slot. So it's kind of like where we were last year. That's how USF was. USF, I believe, was 10 and 5. No, they were 10 and 6, and that's that was good enough for fourth place. They finished the half game behind Santa Clara, uh, who was 10 and 5. So that that's kind of the line. It's like you need kind of need to get the 10 wins, but then again. But I also don't think the bottom teams are going to be as good. So you know what? I take it back. 10 wins I don't think is going to be necessary. I think nine might actually do it to end up in fourth because I think that there's going to be so much competition between USF, BYU, Santa Clara, San Diego, Pepperdine, Portland, that these teams are really going to beat up on each other. And it's going to be one of the more competitive conference seasons I think we've seen in a long, long time. Now, as we kind of like start to transition and one of these teams again is San Diego. And we, there's so much we don't know about this team because of the new coaching staff, the new, the new players, some of the returners and how they're going to fit back into this new system and whatever this ends up looking like. Can we take anything from what we saw last year into account for this year outside of maybe some of the potential we saw from Marcellus Erlington or what we saw from Wayne McKinney? But let's talk to someone who actually knows this team better, better has saw, seen this team over the course of the last few years, and also in the building. So we'll go ahead and bring in uh, Jack Cronin. All right, so I'm going to bring in Jack Cronin. He is the play-by-play man for the San Diego Toreros. He's also You can also find him with the Pac-12 Network and also uh, broadcasting with uh, the San Diego Loyal. And there's, they're just entering into the USL playoffs, so like, that's pretty exciting for you. Absolutely. And it's at USD. So yeah, they're going to at least get one home match at Torero Stadium at USD, which has been a great host, wonderful field. And so it's great to have that crossover here uh, as we get to the last part of the year. Yeah. And as we're starting to kind of like rev up into like, as some seasons are starting to wind down, so, uh, soccer starting to wind down, we're now starting to get into basketball. We're starting to all to see the prognostications, all the previews and everything else. And one of the big ones has been San Diego and what they could potentially do this year. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of changes over the course of this past summer. What's been kind of the most exciting thing that you've seen? What's what's gotten what has you excited about this coming year? Well, just the potential, I think. I think you bring up a good point. You know, Steve Lavin coming to USD has brought with it a lot of attention, which is great for college athletics, no matter if it's volleyball or basketball or baseball, whatever it is for your program is both wonderful as a reward for what's done and accomplished, but it's also great for how the program builds. And it's a very important part of that foundation. So that's what coach Lavin has brought to USD. It's an important part of the off season because it gives the Toreros a little bit of buzz, it gives them a little bit of attention and we'll see what that translates to with so many different new players on the roster and a new foundation to be built, but at least it's that, a recognition for the program itself. And yeah, with Steve Lavin coming in, obviously he brings a, a good amount of cachet. Obviously, he, even though he hasn't been coaching for, it's now been seven years since he last coached at St. John's, uh, but he's always been connected to the game. He remains in in the know to an extent, like especially here on the West Coast where like he like he's he lives out here and everything else. He's always pretty connected to what's going on. And even he's broadcasting a fair number of WCC games over the, over the years. Uh, so... Kind of like with what sort of level of like expectation, at least early on, uh, is there with like Steve Lavin coming, being in the building and how 
How, what was kind of the excitement as that w- announcement was made? Yeah, it was. It was very exciting. It was a big name. And to your point, he hasn't been in coaching for a couple of years since the St. John's did. Remember, he was so young at UCLA, as an assistant winning the national championship and then going deep in the postseason as the head coach. He's only 58 right now as he takes over USD in his third stint as a coach. But what he brings is, first of all, he's a great storyteller, great order. He is a guy who can command a room and he's really like, he just, he brings a little bit of um, kind of the experience and success that you then can build upon here. Now that doesn't mean it's going to happen or happen immediately at San Diego, but what it does is it gives you that potential and hope that you say, okay, what can this program become? And that's, what's exciting to watch and over this year, maybe a couple of years, and then we'll see down the line. Absolutely. So that's what it brings is that it's somebody who has been there, had success before both as a broadcaster, high profile, high nationwide level, but also as a great coach as well, two very high profile programs in UCLA and St. John's. And we've seen some of that success. Obviously, he has eight NCAA tournament appearances in those 12 years, two NIT appearances. So when he's been able to take over, and I think the St. John's is probably the the, the closer comparison point, obviously, like then UCLA, where he took, took over a program that was already well-established, uh, that this was a program that was kind of trying to get back on its feet and was able to do so pretty quickly um, at St. John's. Obviously, Big East team, so there's a little bit of a higher profile there than maybe what the WCC is as a whole. But it does seem to like he's able to turn these programs around pretty quickly um, and be able to kind of like get them back up to being like at a really high competitive level. Uh, So let's kind of dive into some of the, there's a lot of new faces in this building now and whether you can kind of dive into whether it be um, uh, Jaden Dallaire, you can dive into it. You can dive into Eric Williams, Nick Lynch. There's a lot of new faces here what have you heard from maybe the coaches or what have you seen from some of the new guys that should have kind of, should kind of give us some excitement for the coming season and what we're going to see? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, it's going to be 17 players on the roster. That includes walk-ons, but 17 players on the roster and only five of them are returning for San Diego. Now, since the Toreros went to the NIT in 2019, there has been a fair amount of roster turnover over the last several seasons, each season in a row. But this year, obviously, different because it's a different coach. And you mentioned the two most high-profile players who are coming in. Both are Pac-12 players, Eric Williams from Oregon and Jane Dallaire from Stanford. Given the Pac-12 pedigree and success they have had in their older players, so they've been given the extra season because of the pandemic and everything else involved, they are older graduate players, which are always so incredibly valuable. One of my most uh, favorite parts of college basketball is the grad transfer. I think it's an incredible part of the game. I think it's a reward for both for both programs, the one the player is coming from and the player going to, the success in the classroom, the success on the court. The, in college basketball, the grad transfer is one of the most amazing parts of the game. And so now you've got two of them leading the way among 12 new players for USD. Those are the two most high profile who will join. But there are guys up and down the roster who've had success, places like you know Weber State and otherwise. But they also join for remaining scholarship players in Jace Townsend and Wayne McKinney um, and Marcellus Erlington and Ibuzko Tekken. Like there, there are players returning, some of which have been starters. A lot of them, all four of those guys have been starters at one point for USD here. So it's the blending of the newcomers and the returners among 17 on the roster for San Diego. That will be the excitement of the non-conference, right? It'll be the excitement of how do they build in the early part of the season? Who plays where? There are only 200 minutes a game to go around here. Who gets where? I mean, that's the exciting part to have 
for San Diego and for a new coach like Steve Lavin, who's so high profile. And I think that seems kind of like the thing is like, because there are so many new guys, there's going to be a lot of competition for those spots and for those minutes. And to an extent that, I mean, that, that kind of sounds like it should actually benefit uh, the Toreros in the long run over the course of the season, as they kind of like do compete for these minutes. These are not really established roles, even for the returning guys, because there are so many new players coming in, new head coach that they may not necessarily be guaranteed the old spots that they did have, even though obviously we got to see, uh, a lot from uh, Marcellus Erlington last year. We saw that he could be an all-conference type guy. We saw some of the potential from Wayne McKinney. And and obviously, like, one of the biggest things was as the, the coaching uh, – the coaching transition happened. Those two entered the portal immediately. And then Steve Levin was able to kind of was able to bring them back into the fold. It's kind of how important was it to bring back at least some of the guys who were here a year ago to kind of be able to speak to uh, what, what the culture is at San Diego, or at least like kind of like get some of the new guys like acclimated to the campus and, and the town and everything else. Sure. Absolutely. You know, I think, I think you know, players have that rightly. They should. I mean, if they want to look, we've got a coaching change. We're going to test out and see what's the best fit for me academically and obviously on the court as well. I think they should. I think it's wonderful that those two uh, and all four of them came back to San Diego. At one point, all four were starters. Wayne McKinney's the highest rated high school recruit ever to come to San Diego. Jace Townsend, when he was healthy before he broke his hand last year, was the best player on the court. And then you mentioned Marcellus Erlington, who can play multiple positions, and maybe that is a role for him, who can shoot, but he's also a bigger guy, he can play inside. That's a flexibility when you have 12 newcomers and 17 players overall on the roster that will allow you to get more minutes and be valuable to the team uh, in many, many different ways. So yeah, I think it is important. Um, I, look, it's up to each player. I, each player um, has their own life, their own goals, their own successes. And so I think, yes, it's wonderful that those four came back. And that's a great sign for Coach Blavin and for the program itself, too. Um, continuity, sure. Um, building something along the campus and JCP, which is a new floor now. And, you know, you have a new energy. And um, I think you're right. I think it's a blending of those things that is an important factor. We will see here come the second week of November uh, really where these guys get going. And so I, and again, because there's such a fresh start, you don't want to take too much from a year ago because like, I mean, San Diego was actually was a team that like really started WCC play well. They kind of got off that six and three start. And then, yes, it kind of like started to crumble a little bit at the back end. But then also you kind of looked at their schedule. It was like you had Gonzaga, St. Mary's twice, USF. Like it was a brutal back half of the schedule for San Diego. But it, but it also kind of like for those returners, like it's like, this was a team that was really good defensively. This was a team that had an identity there. And how much of that identity is going to kind of stick around or is because we have kind of like brand new all over the place. So like this, that that may not be the team that may not be the identity of the team we see this year. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we know. And that's, what's fun about it, right. Is spending the non-conference, which, you know, in other seasons may be something you're waiting for that Gonzaga or St. Mary's game, right. Or BYU contest. But this time, it's like, okay, what, what's going on? This is great. This is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to grow. I, there's nothing that's set in stone that the Toreros have to play one way or the other. It's maximizing the talents and abilities of these young men to give them the best opportunity. Some of these players are going to be the last year of college basketball, the last chance to be part of, the, of a team like this uh, and to play in a co for a coach like Steve Lavin and in a place like San Diego, as you mentioned, a great place, an opportunity. 
So we don't know. It, it could go any of those ways. We don't even have the schedule yet. As you and I talked today, yeah. the schedule isn't even finalized right now for San Diego. So let's let's see how it goes. That it is an excitement. And there are different ways of doing things. You know, I go back to to 2019 for the Toreros who made the NIT. Well, they had, you know, essentially four guys who played every minute of that season and led mm-hmm. the Toreros in the NIT, one of the best teams uh, in, in program history. But then you've also got teams that have come together on one year, the 08 team uh, that won an NCAA tournament game, beat UConn in the NCAA tournament game. They had played together for essentially one year and just came together. So it's different ways of things. They had a new coach at that time, Bill Greer, right? Like it was – it's different ways of building things, and there's no right or wrong answer right now. What is the right way is to see how these players do on the floor, and that's what's exciting. I was in the building at uh, Jenny Craig Pavilion when uh, that 08 team made its tournament runs. I, I remember that one very well. Um, that's and awesome. that was an incredible. That's awesome. that was an incredible San Diego team. Like not making having to run that gauntlet, going through St. Mary's and going through Gonzaga to get that auto bid was amazing. Um, I was still a student at St. Mary's at the time, and <laughs> so I was I was in the band, so I was there for that trip. And I remember even in the NCAA turn during the tournament, like we. We were off, I think we were in Little Rock for the tournament and we, we got back to the hotel after we lost and we're watching uh, San Diego play and we were, we were just like all rooting for the Toros like someone actually kind of like, uh, someone actually make us all proud because we had lost, Gonzaga had lost and so we were waiting for, like we needed somebody in the conference to represent. So it was, it was a, that was, that was a fun team uh, and I'm actually kind of glad that Rob Jones actually moved back up north, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. that was a really exciting uh, San Diego team, a really good uh, squad uh, the, at that point. Um, and there, so this team, even though we haven't seen kind of anything on the court yet, we haven't kind of seen any practices, there is a fair amount of at least expectation that this is going to be a team that's going to be far improved than a year ago. Uh, we had like the, the John Rothsteins actually say it's like, hey, this is one of like the five teams that is going to be vastly improved from a year ago. For a team that may not be actually kind of like all put together and still figuring things out, how did how do you think that they're going to try? They're going to at least handle kind of like these external expectations, or or is this a kind of a group? Steve Lamb kind of like I'm kind of like tuning the external out because all we can do is kind of focus internally. It's all, those are great questions. And, you know, I think the latter is probably more true. It's a first year. I mean, it's, it's a first year. Any coach, whether it's Steve Lavin or somebody that you haven't heard of, um, it, it has to build up the family, the program, the, the what, what are the internal goals and relationships and all these things that go into um, being part of a human group. And so anybody was going to do that. And so the answer is we have no idea for this particular season, but it's not necessarily about this season it could be to your point i mean john rostein and some of these other nationwide guys who uh, cover the sport they've all known coach lavin in fact rostein worked with lavin on some of the broadcasts in the postseason yeah. right like it's it's <laughs> they know him right they all know him and therefore they respect what he can do but it isn't about day one it's not about november of this year it's not even about march of this year it would be great to have that but it's more about how do you build up a program that has a wonderful facility that's in one of the best cities in the entire world um, and in a great conference that has great competition game in and game out that t- sent multiple teams to the, and always does to the NCAA tournament. How do you become one of those and build up the program over several seasons, not just here this year? 
And I think there's also like with San Diego, there is a lot of opportunity because I, because of so many of the changes and the coaching changes and the new players and the the guys who did come back. I think there's at least a fair amount of expectation that San Diego is going to be in that conversation in that that say like that three that third to seventh place window where like there's a lot of like flux between the USS, the BYUs. Santa Clara's Pepperdine like Portland like there were a lot of teams I think who were going to be like in the mix um when it comes to like uh pole positioning for Vegas and and getting kind of like put their positioning for the postseason and because there it seems far more wide open this year it does seem like that there's like there's an opportunity for San Diego to kind of make its mark at least like as they kind of get it together before conference play to kind of make sure that they they know who they are they have an identity as they kind of go in and probably for a lot of the wcc teams where you kind of like oh we have at least some familiarity with each other when you when you have a new coaching staff a new style it's like there may not be that familiarity so San Diego could also then catch some teams off guard at least in the early part it's a great call and it's always the question right in the wcc is who's going to finish behind Gonzaga in what order right now, right? Like where where are things going to shake out? I love the double triple buy, uh, you know, into the uh, semifinals for the top two seeds. It protects you and rewards you for a regular season that has been accomplished. Um, and so a team like Gonzaga obviously is going to be there. St. Mary's has carried the banner for more than a decade now in the, the West Coast Conference. Uh, you know, it's it's building on two decades now. Uh, BYU, I think, it's been a great addition to the conference. They will leave for the Big Twelve after this season. I think they have been wonderful to add to the conference, whether their fan base, uh, the number of eyeballs they bring and attention they bring to the conference, um, they're, they're, the way that they are resourced and, and there is the size of their arena and the, the attention that's just wonderful. But they're going to move on. And so for this year and then for next year too, as BYU leaves, there's even more of a question of okay, who is who are those programs that are coming up after Gonzaga and is San Diego one of those? And I think that is why Steve Lavin was brought in was raising the profile of, of the Toreros of getting them to compete at that kind of level uh, where St. Mary's has been right. Where, where it's like, okay, we're competing. We're going to tournaments all the time. We're competing for postseason spots. You don't have to necessarily win the WCC because as the conference has shown multiple teams are going to the tournament, which is the ultimate goal to mm-hmm. help your conference and all 10 of its members, you know, to gain that kind of reward from financially otherwise from the tournament, but the, the, the accolades that come with it. So again, this year is the first year. It's the building. It's the foundation of a new program, but yes, in the future, that is exactly the question. Can the Toreros become where, you know, what St. Mary's is and what BYU has been and these teams you mentioned, you know, Santa Clara and USF and it's somebody every different every year, but consistently can you get into that number compete for the buy to the semifinals and those kinds of things in the west coast conference that's what the future is we'll see what happens here right now for this season yeah i think there's a lot of teams who are making making some pretty good improvements as we kind of start to move into this transition of byu is kind of going to leave and who's going to take their spot and like who's going to be that next team to be consistently that next team because there obviously there's a, a a lot of programs in this conference have done like in my eyes, like have done the work to kind of make, make sure that they're in position to kind of make that next step and be in that and be the next team to kind of replace the BYU, at least in like the standings front and the, just the notoriety front. Um, and so I think I got like one last question. I asked this of Anthony Passarelli last week. And so I want to ask it of you um, of, of the non 
you cannot pick San Diego as your answer for this one. So okay. of the of, of the other nine WCC cities, what is your favorite to visit? And then what is your kind of go-to like food place in that city? Oh boy. Well, so um, I, if you can't pick San Diego, obviously uh, it's incredibly easy and fun to come to the Jane Craig Pavilion every time. I always enjoy driving up to Malibu. I was, it's an easy drive. Um, the, you walk out, uh, Firestone Fieldhouse there, Pepperdine, you're overlooking the Pacific Ocean. I always enjoyed that. It was very zen, uh, and it was a nice moment. And you're, you're easily coming back home uh, after the game. It's up and back. It's an easy one to do. Yeah. I thought I always thought Provo was beautiful to visit with the Wasatch Mountains in the background on a clear day, snow-capped mountains. I thought that was always uh, beautiful. But um, I don't know. I don't necessarily have a, a best spot to stop in, but I always enjoyed the accommodations in Spokane, staying at the Davenport, and it was an, always an old school feel. It was very classy uh, up in Spokane. It always took care of you. It felt like, uh, you know, going to Spokane was always a big time thing because it was Gonzaga, obviously, and they were always a, you know, a top five program. But it was, it felt classy and it felt like it was big time to be on that road trip, if that makes sense. So those are some of the answers I would give, yeah. obviously, outside of San Diego uh, for those kind of things. Yeah, the Davenport is always like every time and I've talked to anyone who's gone up to Spokane, everyone talks about the Davenport and just like yeah. how how top notch that place has been. Eventually, I'll get up there just to kind of see because I got to see a game up in the kennel at some point. Um, well, thanks, Jack, for taking some time. Um, basketball season is only weeks away. It's, we're getting revved up. Um, I'm excited. I'm sure you're excited to get this going and uh, we'll we'll catch up probably down the road. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Let's let's see what happens. It's really exciting down here in San Diego. I appreciate it. All right. I want to thank Jack again for hopping on and talking some San Diego hoops. We're only a few weeks away, only a little more than a month away. It's kind of crazy that we're almost here. Um, and San Diego is going to be in the mix. San Diego is going to be in this conversation. We're going to be talking about them, I think, all year long. This I feel less like that this is an LMU situation from a year ago. And yes, LMU kind of gets like, kind of gets pounded on a little bit because of what the expectations were a year ago and then how it all went. Uh, but I think there's like, I think there's a lot more, not necessarily trepidation, but there's a, you're going to take San Diego right now with a little, with a little grain of salt, as opposed to like, I'm going to be fully buy into San Diego where they are this year, because I agree with Jack. I think that it's not necessarily about the success of this year. It's, really kind of seeing how this program grows into year two, year three, uh, year four with Lavin and kind of seeing how they grow because there is an opportunity here with BYU leaving the conference for someone to step into that role. And maybe that's USF, maybe it's San Diego, maybe it's Santa Clara. Well, I think we'll see over the next couple of years who is willing to, who's not, not to say willing, everyone is willing. Who's ready to step into that role and be the next team to be consistent year after year after year in the WCC? And we'll talk a little bit about uh, some injury news. So it came out yesterday on uh, Monday, the 27th, uh, that BYU guard Trevin Nell is actually going to be out for the next three to four months. Uh, he has a torn rotator cuff, which three to four months that probably puts him out until conference play. And this is a, this is a pretty big blow for, for BYU. This was a team that we knew even last year uh, 
had had a problem getting getting buckets easy. And this is arguably their best three point shooter, and he'll be out for the for at least the first half of the season. Uh, this was uh, Nell at, started eighteen games last year, played in uh, thirty five. He averaged six point three, shot thirty six percent from the feet uh, from three point land. Uh, he was forty five percent the year before, so we knew like this was a guy who could actually get you buckets if you needed them. Uh, and so the, again, this is a big blow, especially when you also add in the fact that you also don't have the likes of Tijon Lucas and Alex Barcelo. So this puts a little bit more pressure on on some of the other role players, and then also on Rudy Williams, who is coming in as a transfer. And so there's going to be a lot more pressure on him to kind of be that offensive motor for this BYU team. And again, I, this is one of the things I think is a big question about BYU is where the offense is going to come from, because it was the question last year. And I, I'm not entirely sure that the question has been answered, uh, but only time will tell. And we'll also kind of go into a full preview of BYU uh, in the coming weeks so that we have kind of a rundown of what we should expect from the Cougars. All right, and that'll do it for uh, this week's episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. Now that we're only a little more than a month away from the season, we'll start to get into the with the weekly schedule of the podcast. So we won't be waiting every couple weeks anymore. We'll be getting down to business every single week as we start to analyze the games, schedules, and everything else, getting closer to conference play. So in the meantime, be sure to subscribe on your favorite uh, uh, streaming service. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube if you'd rather see the video version. You can search unofficial WCC Hoops podcast there. Uh, you could also follow me on Twitter at Post by Zach for even more uh, social media, uh, not social media, but uh, more WCC um, information and 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 analysis and everything else. So until then, uh, I'm Zach Farmer, and I will catch you later.